It's lovely to have you all here this morning, but how many of you enjoyed the sermon last week about turning around and calling back the Gideons? Did anybody else other than me get completely affected by it? And the fact that God is calling us as young men and young women back to a point of reliance upon Him. And I was struck again that most of us here want to know God's plan for our lives. Do you want to know God's plan for your life? I do. As a young man, I'm going to say I'm young. I have three children, but I'm still young. We want to know God's plan for our lives, but so often we're waiting for a moment from God. Um, We're waiting for that storybook moment where God is going to zip out of heaven, have a lightning bolt, and tell us, Pete, this is the plan. Hanray, thank you. Uh, For your life. But what I love about the book of Gideon, uh, not the book, the, the story of Gideon out of the book of Judges, is that Gideon was busy with his day-to-day life, and God broke into it and gave him his call. Gideon wasn't sitting idly waiting for God to say something. He was busy doing stuff, and God broke in and joined his life. So let's talk about the story to this point. If you know the Bible, the book of Judges is right near the beginning, so if you want to find it now, it's just after the book of Joshua. But if you go back a couple of generations, the Israel people were, were captive in Egypt, and God brought about a young boy, a young baby in a basket called Moses. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house, ran away, and came back. And after a series of miracles, he rescued the people of Israel, took them out through 10 amazing miracles, and then got to the Red Sea, smashed his stick on the Red Sea. It opened. He took the people through. The sea closed, and the the Israel people were out into the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land. They get to the promised land, and a young man by the name of Joshua is told to lead them. Now, we have a young man called Joshua at the sound desk today. Josh, do you know what it says in Joshua 1 verse 9? It says, be strong and of good courage. And he had led the people through the wilderness into the promised land, and they had a good run in the promised land. And then we get to the book of Judges, and there are 12 judges which are told to bring the people back to God. And that's we get to chapter 6 in the book of Judges, and it says the following in 6 verse 1. It says, The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they were handed over to the Midianites for seven years. I tell you the bit in the beginning because it's context that God had come through for them over and over and over again, and yet they still turned, and they turned themselves over to what was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Midianites took them over for seven years. What you also need to know about the Midianites is that they were an oppressive bunch. And once a year, what they would do at harvest time is they would invade. It says that they would invade like locusts, and they would take out the land. They would come in, and what they couldn't, what they couldn't steal, they would destroy. That's a pretty oppressive bunch. And for seven years, the people were oppressed. Here's the part that I, I find quite amazing, is that it says, after seven years, the Israel people turned to God. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> For seven years, we try everything in our own strength. We try and make a plan this way. We try and make a plan this way. And finally, when we run out of plans, we say, God, please won't you help me? And the Israelite people then turned to God, and he came through. I love it how C.S. Lewis puts it. He said it this way. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences. But he shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Today, I believe God wants to rouse a bunch of Gideons in this house. You may or may not be going through a tough time, 
but God wants to rouse you to a point of action. Last week, you might have felt a call, but today, He wants to give you a commission into that call. So, before we can uh, knuckle down into the book of, of Judges, I want to ask you one question. It's a question that I grapple with a lot of the time. The question is, who are you? Or who am I? Verse 7 and 8 of Judges 6 tells us that when we cry out to God, He graciously turns to our, to our aid. In the book of Judges, He turned and He gave them a prophet, and then He called out a young man by the name of Gideon. And we meet Gideon in verse 11 as he's cowering from the Midianites. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Judges 6, verse 11. I'm going to start from verse 12. It says the following. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, that is Gideon, and it said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Please remember that Gideon at that point was hiding in a wine press. He wasn't standing up in front of a crowd talking. He was hiding in a wine press. And God says to him, Rise up, mighty man of valor. I love verse 13. It says, but Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. God calls him. He says, Mighty man of valor. And straight away, what's Gideon's response? But Lord, where are those miracles you've told me about? Where are those things you told about to Moses? And to Joshua, where are they? And verse 14, God says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Many of us last week might have felt that first verse 12. God has called you up, and he says, Mighty man, mighty woman of valor. And that's amazing. And then on Monday, you got to work, and the budgets didn't match, and your kids were going bonkers. And you suddenly said, where is that promise that you've told me about? Where is that promise, God, of the hope and the future? And I know Pierre touched on this last week, but I personally had that robbing on Monday. I had that robbing where I hit life, and life hit me, and I started to doubt the call. And then verse 14 gave me assurance. It says, but then the Lord turned to him and he said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. I.e., he's saying to you, go in the might that I have given you, Pete, and take over Somerset West for the kingdom of God, because I've given it to you. And in verse 15, Gideon says again, Oh Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest, and I am the least in this clan, in my father's house. And again, the Lord says to him in verse 16, He says, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. This morning, I'd like to suggest to you or say to you that God is with you. And this morning, we're going to open up in a word of prayer. But this is a funny, different kind of prayer. The prayer that I'm going to pray is a prayer that says that you are enough. And on the board, I'm going to show you some of the pictures or the words that God has for you. And I'm going to pray that over us as a church as we look at the life of Gideon and how he can practically live out this call of God over our lives. Because God doesn't come and give us a call and then leave us. God gives us a call and then walks with us 
throughout the journey of life as we achieve that call for his purpose. So here's what God says about you. God says, Father God, I thank you, Lord, that in your word it says that we are indeed God's children. We thank you, Father God, that we are called your friends. We thank you, Father God, that we as people are called your masterpiece. We thank you, Father God, that we have been called justified and freed forever from from condemnation from God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we as people are adopted into your family. We thank you, Father God, that we are your citizenship in heaven. We thank you, Father God, that we belong to you and that, Father, that we will never be separated from your love. And we thank you, Lord, that we have everything that we need that pertains to life and to godliness in Jesus' name. Amen. That is how the Lord sees you. Those are the ways that God sees us. And so often we don't see ourselves that way. We have those Gideon moments where we don't see ourselves the way that God fully sees us. What does God see when he looks at you? When God looked, when Jesse looked at his son David, he saw a young little boy who wasn't even willing to be called to a family meeting with Samuel. He counted all the other sons and he said, Ach, he's the little one. Losom. When God looked at David, he saw one of the mightiest kings in the Bible. That's what God saw when he saw David. When Gideon looked at himself, he saw the weakest in the, in, in, he saw the youngest in the weakest clan. When God looked at Gideon, he saw a mighty man of valor or a mighty warrior. When God looks at you, he sees fundamentally more than you see when you look at yourself. And that's what I want to tell you, is that God sees very, very much more than you can see. Now, last week, Pierre told us uh, that his favorite game as a kid was hide-and-seek, and he still plays it with Alika, um, not, with ha- not with Helena. One of my favorite games as a kid, I don't know if you ever remember, it was a game called Open Gates. Does anybody remember it? Am I showing my age? No. Okay, so you'd all line up, and there'd be one halfway down the field, and he'd look, and he'd go down the line, and he goes, who am I going to call? Who am I going to call? Oh, Gareth's quite fast. I'm not going to call him. Neil's very fast. I'm definitely not going to call him. Ant's quite slow. I might call Ant. And finally, he'd look, and he'd say your name, and he'd go, Pete, it's your turn. And there would be that anxiety, that anxiousness in you, and you'd be like, huh? And you start running and you try and dodge the guy in the middle. And as you came past him, you'd suddenly go, open gates! And everybody would just start running. And you just have that joy and that euphoria that you were going to make it. This morning, I believe it's a bit of an open gates moment in this house. Is that God is looking and he's going to call your name. He's going to go, it's your number, Lawrence. And you're going to say, yes, I got him. And I'm going to start running. But the beautiful thing is that you don't have to run on your own and try and dodge like Caleb Bukhavi, you can actually just run knowing that God is whispering all the way. He's going, go this way. Go that way. Do this. Do that. Because in the book of Judges, he tells us that Gideon, all the way through his call, had conversation with God, and God was giving him strategy. He was giving him comfort. He was giving him assurance. And as we play the game of open gates, as we get past those obstacles in life, the beautiful thing is God's calling the people to run alongside us. So the, the sermon's title this morning is Open Gates. So how do we learn this from the, from the life of, of Gideon and some of the practical things from the life of Gideon? 
And the first one I'd like to suggest to you is that in Gideon's life, Gideon had a series of personal encounters with God. We first learn about Gideon that we've just read in the bottom of a wine press where God calls him out. Do you know that that wasn't the only time when God had an encounter with Gideon? It wasn't like God gave him his, his marching orders and then left him alone. If we look throughout the book of Judges, we'll see Gideon. The first time he's called to action, he has a little discussion with God, which we went through, and then he, gets, he, gets, he starts to get going. The next thing is God asks him to minister to his family. And in that moment, Gideon has another encounter with God, and God gives him comfort and assurance. After that miracle, God asks him to blow his horn and call the men of Israel to, to war. And in that moment, he once again has a moment with God and asks for his comfort and his assurance. The men start to come, and now Gideon goes, well, now I've got all these oaks. Now what am I going to do with them? And he says, God, I need your strategy. And God has another moment with him. Then he starts to get the army ready for battle, and he has a bit, a bit of a moment of doubt. And he's left with 300 men. That's all he has to take on an entire army. And so he's starting to doubt. And God says, don't worry, I got this. Go and sit with the enemy camp and go and listen to what they hear. And God had given the enemy a dream that the Israelites were gonna overwhelm them. And that boosted his confidence. So what we see in the book of Judges is that all throughout, Gideon's life is marked by having personal encounters with God. You cannot rely on one moment with God to carry you through the journey of your life. You have to engage with God regularly so that you can be built up and empowered to do what God has called you to do. God does not leave you alone. And I love the fact that in his presence, he gives you safety, he gives you definition, and he gives you clarity on what you need to do. But we need to cry out to God. Gideon couldn't rely on the fact that God said to him, you're gonna take over the Midianites. He didn't walk out of that wine press and suddenly the Midianites were all lined up and they said, oh, sorry, God spoke, it's game over. There was a series of things that he had to go through and trust God and intercede and spend time with God so that he could actually achieve that thing that God had called him to do. So the first is that we have to have regular personal encounters with Jesus Christ. The second part is that going public is a family matter. If we can go to verse 27, it says the following. It says, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but he was afraid of his family and his townspeople. He did it at night rather than in the daytime. If you go on to verse 30, it says, The people of the town demanded of Goash, Goash is Gideon's dad, Bring out your son. He must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to a hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's case? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. And I love this. He says, If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. I know we spoke about this last week, but Gideon had wrestled with God to get to this point. And then he said he was afraid, so he did what God asked him in night, not during the day where people could see. And so he broke down the altar of Baal, which his parents had set up. They must have really liked Baal a lot to put an idol in their front yard. They really must have liked him a lot. And so Gideon takes one of his dad's prize bulls knocks down the altar and resurrects an altar to the Lord God. 
Now, if you is, if his mom or dad, what would you think in the morning? Would you be pretty bleak? You've spent a lot of time putting up an altar to something that you worshiped. But because of his obedience, I love what his dad says. And I think this is the challenge to all of us, is that when we have an encounter with the Lord God, often he's going to ask us to show our, our, the, the meaning of it, and the people that are impacted are the people that are closest to us. And Goash says, hang on a second, this thing that I worshipped, it got knocked down by my son, and then he says, he says, if Baal really is a God, if Gideon's conviction of faith changed his dad's perception of what he worshipped, your conviction of your faith will impact those closest to you by your lifestyle and by your actions. But you have to be convinced on it and convicted about it. And it will impact those closest to you. I love the fact that private worship leads to public confession of our faith. If you truly worship God, it will come out through the fabric of who you are. It will impact your family. It will impact your friends. It will impact those people closest to you. Last week we spoke about how God wants to pull down those idols in our lives, those idols of pride, of false identity, of self-preservation, of offense, and of distrust. And he wants to replace them with a true and a real relationship with him and an identity in who you are and who God says you are. I love the fact that God wants our relationship with him to impact those closest to us. Now, men, if you're here today, if you don't know that you have an idol in your life, I'm going to... I'm going to challenge you with something very brave. Ask your wife. Ask your wife what idol you have in your life because she'll probably tell you. And then the challenge is up to you. Because on your knees as the head of a home, God's going to say to you, what are the idols? And I want you to make it right. And I want you to put yourself in a place of vulnerability before God because he wants you to lead your family with conviction and with faith. That's an extra. That's on the side. So firstly, God wants personal encounters with him. The second is that it's a family business, raising God's kingdom. The third is that as we go from an internal thing to our family and our friends, God starts to bring people into the call. God loves bringing people around us. God loves exciting people. It's like that game of open gates. God loves it. When someone's charging, the rest of us get excited and we charge with because that's what God wants. So... If we can go to verse 33, it says, it's going to be quite long and lots of funny words, but bear with me. Now all of the Midianites, Amalekites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abazarites to follow him. He sent messages throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to him, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If, the dew, if there is dew only on the fleece and, on the, and all the ground is dry, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon woke up on the next day and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew and there was a bowl full of water. Cool, eh? God gave him a sign. Wasn't enough for Gideon. He says, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with this fleece. By the time, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. If this was a movie, 
Verse 33 would be that moment where you hear that cool music. Because you'd hear the Midianites are starting to swarm. It's, it's harvest time. The Israelites are starting to, they know that either they're going to have to go and hide in caves like they used to do, or they're going to have to come up with a different strategy. And it says that Gideon was convicted. He was enveloped by God, and he walked out and he blew his, his, his trumpet. <laughs> now, I don't know how loud you can blow a trumpet, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't come to all the eastern regions. I don't think the sound of a trumpet can, can carry that far. But God says that when Gideon blew that trumpet, it started to ring and resonate with people in various parts of the country. When there's a man of conviction who's called by God and he blows that trumpet of faith, God does something in places that are far-reaching that we couldn't even, we couldn't, our voice couldn't carry that far. But his faith carried far further than the, the sound of that trumpet could carry. And then the second part is now, if I was Gideon, I'd be quite chuffed because he blows the trumpet and 32,000 men respond to the call. How many of you like the Stormers? They started to play again, not well, yesterday, but they won. 32,000 people is half of Newland Stadium. That's a clump mensa. And they came running. And if I was getting, I would have been quite like, God, you, you're coming through. You're coming through, yes. And it says that straight away, he said, God, I've got a test for you. And he said, Lord, if I wake up, then my fleece must be wet. And then God did that. And then the next morning he goes, actually, God, can you make the fleece dry and the ground wet? And then God did that. And what I love is when Gideon is on his call, God is lovingly reinforcing that call. He didn't get cross with Gideon. He didn't say, Gideon, why are you doubting? What's wrong with you? He came through for Gideon. Gideon said, Lord, I'm trusting you. I did what you asked me to do, but suddenly I'm having a doubt. And God reinforced himself and lovingly came through for him time and time and time again. God is tender and loving and kind with us. So Gideon, to this point, has overcome. He's got rid of his own personal idols. He's got rid of his doubts in the call. And he's starting to get rid of the feeling of inadequacy. And here's what God replaces. God replaced those doubts, those idols, and those feelings with his promises, with his people, and with his peace. So often in our call, we're, we're confronted. God, God gives us a call. We, we start going, and again, we get confronted with an obstacle. And then we need to cry out to God because we say, God, who are the people that you're gathering around me? Because God, I need that peace. Where's your peace in this? Because I need to hit the plan that you've got for me. And God will. God came through for Gideon and he'll come through from you. Now, I'm not encouraging you to all take your fleeces out and put them outside. Although tonight might be a good night. Put your fleece out. Say, Lord, can it rain? May it be wet everywhere. Um, but often... In the Old Testament, God had tests, uh, people had tests for God. We don't have to have tests for God because it says in 2 Timothy 3, it says that in here, it says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebu rebuking, correcting, and training so that us, the servants of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so my encouragement to you today is if you want to know who God is, start here. Don't start with a test. Start with this because you'll find him in the word of God. So God, so Gideon had now had personal encounters with God. He'd started to reach out to his family. The people had started to respond. And finally, I want to say to you that God does more with less. If you go in Judges 7 verse 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Gideon, 
you have too many people for me to hand you to the Midianites over to you, or else Israel might brag, I did this myself. To Anne's point earlier, South Africa wasn't handed over by a bunch of politicians. God did it, because we can't brag about what God does. We can brag about God. And so Gideon had called on this trumpet, and 32,000 men had arrived, and and God then says to him, but hang on a second, there's too many men here. And so Gideon then says to the men, he says, how many of you are afraid? And 22,000 of those men said, I'm afraid. He said, okay, you can go home. There's 10,000 left. And then God says, gives him a strategy. He spent time with God. God gave him a strategy. And he refined that number right down to 300 men. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot. Let me give a perspective. The Midianites had 135,000 men on the other side of the valley. That equals a ratio of one Israeli soldier to 450 Midianites. It's good odds, eh? That's like me fighting all of you, plus some. And you know what? God came through because that's what he does. God came through and he took on those odds and he did amazing things. In Luke 18, verse 27, it says, what is impossible with men is, is possible with God. Accomplishing God's purposes in your life is not determined by the balance sheet. It's not determined by the number of men who rock up for battle. It's not even determined by the plans and the purposes that you have. Your victory is determined by God. And he's looking for men and women who are fully dependent on him, who believe, with, who, believe who he is and who he says he is, and who are ready to lead in the name of the Lord. Gideon was a normal guy. He was a normal guy. There are different personality types here. We have A types, B types, C types, F types. We have all sorts of types. And God calls all of us. He doesn't call certain types of people. He calls all people. But what he is asking for is people who have a, a passion for him. And out of the book of Judges, I love this, is that Gideon partnered with God throughout his entire journey. He put out his fleece of faith and he kept asking God for direction on the battle plan. And he always did it with, with humility. His purpose was important. That first call that we saw in verse 12 was important. But without a continuous partnership with God, your purpose will fail. That you have to have that continuous partnership with God. So one of the lessons that we've learned from Gideon is that God used tough times to get his attention. God might be getting your attention today through tough times that you're going through. God always sees more than we see. Gideon saw the youngest and the weakest clan. God saw a mighty warrior. God is looking at your life today and he's seeing far more than you can see. God is calling us to greater levels of private faithfulness. He asked God, Gideon to spend time with him and he's asking all of us the same question. Can you spend time with me for strategy, for comfort, for reassurance because I want to spend time with you? And God is faith, he is patient with our faith process. God wants us to trust him throughout every stage of our faith process. He was patient with Gideon, he will be patient with you. And finally, success is determined by God and his plan, not by us and our plan. And so, as an example, last week I left and I was really encouraged. And uh, I went up to Elgin for a great family lunch but I was grappling with all the stuff that, that I'd heard last week about Gideon and his life and how God had, had impacted him. 
And here in the Western Cape, we're going through a pretty rough drought. If you're new from Joburg, welcome, 50 liters a day, please. And there's not a lot growing. And I went up to, to Elgin, and, and there was an apple tree. And that apple tree was thick under the weight of apples. Now, Rue, who's a friend of mine, he brought some apples for me today. He actually picked them this morning. There's lots of them. You all get an apple, don't worry. But the principle that I had was that I really felt God says that, like Gideon, our lives are like this apple. It's delicious. It's really, really nice. It's, it's pretty yummy. But it's only sustaining pretty much for you. If I ate this apple, I'd be full for a little bit. But it, and it's nice. There's nothing wrong with this apple. But when we open up the apple, inside there's some seeds that God has given us. And when we give those seeds back to God, those trees, those apple trees that grow, bend under the weight of the apples that they can produce. Rue went this morning with his kids and picked 350 apples. Now, his kids are not big, so he didn't go very far. There was a couple of apple trees. And this morning, I want to suggest to you that, say to you that God wants to take your apple, your very small little apple. He wants to break it open and take the seeds that are within your apple and turn you into an apple tree that does exponentially more than you can do on your own. On your own, you can sustain your family for a little while on your apple. But with God's help, you have an apple tree that produces fruit over and over and over again. And that fruit produces more fruit and more fruit and more fruit. Gideon's life shows us that by putting his trust in God, by putting his faith in God, he called men to a point of battle and he changed the nation's outline because he said, God, my apple isn't much. But won't you open up my apple as I trust it to you and turn it into something that truly can make a difference in this day and this age. Can we, can we pray? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the Gideons that you have placed in this place today, Father God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have filled us each, Lord God, with gifts and talents and abilities. And I thank you, Father God, that you care so much for us, Lord God, that you are willing to meet us where we are at, that, Father God, no matter where we are in life, Lord God, you want to come and break in and spend time with us. And I thank you, Father God, that as we respond to you, Lord God, that you would break open our lives, Father God, and take those seeds and build on them, Father God. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us the ability, Lord God, by spending time with you, that, Lord God, that as we spend time with you, as you, as you give us strategy, as you give us comfort, as you give us purpose, and as you speak hope into our hearts, Lord God, that, Lord Jesus, we truly can touch the world in need, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father God, for conviction to rise in people, Father God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that today there would be a deep desire to spend more and more time with you, Lord God. And that, Lord Jesus, as we go out from here, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that our lives would make an impact in the world around us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did through the life of Gideon, but even more so what you're going to do through the lives of the people here today. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.